Welcome to the Human and Technology Podcast. This podcast is for anyone who develops, distributes or uses technology. For all those who always have the feeling that technology overwhelms or dominates them. For everyone who wants to know how to deal with technology in everyday life. For anyone who wants to understand what technology does to us and how we can get our lives back. This podcast is for those who want to make technology sexy. All the product developers, designers, UX, UI professionals, product managers, CTOs and CEOs. And it is for you. My name is Dr. Peter Reska. My friends call me Dr. Peter. I am your host and I am happy that you are here. This is the second part of the podcast episode on the four industrial revolutions and uh, my analysis on the changes in the interaction between humans and machines in these four different industrial revolutions. We talked about uh, industrial revolution number one and two in the last episode last week. So if you have not heard that, uh, go back there, listen to it, then return here. Here it will be about uh, Industrial Revolution number three and number four. Let's move on to the third Industrial Revolution. And now it gets interesting as far as HMIs are concerned. A little spoiler here in the, the beginning of that part. The third industrial revolution started in the late 60s with the introduction of programmable, programmable logic controllers. Very early versions of computing power, uh, early versions of digitalization. And uh, this was the beginning of the transition from concrete machines to abstract machines. So until then, a machine had been more or less 100% mechanical. So you could have seen um, all the belts in there, you could have seen the gears in there, you could have seen the power flow. So that, that was very concrete, you could see something. And uh, in today's electronic machines that we have, like smartphones or computers, you don't really see them working. I mean, you see the result of the work they're doing on the screen in a, in a picture or in an interaction that you have. But the machine itself gets more and more abstract. So... Until the introduction of computers, the function of a machine was visible on its exterior. And today we have more encapsulated boxes um, and uh, they receive their function, these computing boxes, through program code. That led to a decoupling of the direct influence on humans, also machines, Did not uh, had, there was a layer between the machine and the human. Uh, for example, levers, turning wheels, hats. That was the early version. 
and that was replaced by a central control unit. And this is when HMI design, the design of the interaction, became possible. It made it possible to completely redesign or even just to design the relationship between human and machine. Before that, it was all driven by the machine. And now suddenly it was possible to design something, to create it, to make it better, to, to have a closer look at, at human abilities and integrate them into the communication between a human and machine. So software allows the control through displays on screens and to match between human skills and technology. Plus that to a larger extent, machines spread out of the workshops, the uh, industrial production places into offices. First of all, indicated by the introduction of the PC, the personal computer. And one of uh, the very early uh, computing machine producers was called IBM. And uh, I'm not really sure. I think the I stands for international, B for bureau, and M for machines. So I'm not really sure about the I and the B, but the M in IBM stands for machine. And that was a machine, an abstract machine, an encapsulated box driven by program code. And it was located in offices or around offices or in the cellars of offices. But it was not necessarily a mechanical production place, a workshop. Then later on, the technology in private spaces was added. I had my very first uh, personal PC in 19, I think, 87, 88, something like this. A colleague of my father sold his old one because he had a new one and he sold it to me. I think I paid something like 700 German marks, which uh, today equals uh, around 800 uh, euros, dollars, pounds uh, for this computer with a big screen on it. It was a big uh, beige block box that was blocking most parts of my desk at that time. So, But it was a private one that I had at home. And um, of course, I played games on it. But I was also able to, to write my uh, thesis on this one, my diploma thesis, um, to do my, my university homework on it and to print it out. And um, so that was a big, big step forward with that machine on my desk. Until the, the turn of the millennium, until about 20 years ago, you usually had the latest piece of technology in your office. So the latest Pentium processor was in the machine you had on your desk. While at home, you had weaker devices, the older ones, the last generation. Today, this has turned around 180 degrees. The devices in the professional environment to, tend to lag behind the private ones. The latest, greatest, the coolest smartphone, the, the, the best tablet that you have is in your private pocket and not on your desk. That has 
mainly safety reasons. Um, some companies still rely on comparably old operating systems, not allowing the communication with the latest, newest, freshest operating systems. There's a lot of safety thinking behind this, which for, for good reasons. I don't blame anyone for this. I mean, we need all the safety and, and safety takes time and safety requires effort. And this is why we have in, in offices not the latest, greatest stuff, but sometimes last or even older, last generation or even older stuff that, that we use. The number of digitized devices in our lives, in our environment, is constantly increasing. With the introduction uh, of uh, the programmable, programmable logic controllers, with the start of industry 3.0, the third industrial revolution, the slavery The human slavery to machines was abolished. It was replaced by some kind of employment relationship. So the human was the employee and the machine was the employer, basically controlling things, commanding things, wanting things, And, and the human was like an, an, an employee, uh, just fulfilling the tasks the machine was, was uh, doing for, that was asking for. And, and this is the big turn uh, turnaround that we experienced. The design of the human-machine interaction, the human-machine interfaces became possible. So the HMI design, as we know it today, usability and user experience and as we perform it, that began at that time. And uh, I mean, you will know this, but uh, I'm super happy that this happened because it pays my bills at the end of the day. Freud, the um, psychoanalyst from, from Austria, Sigmund Freud, uh, already called in the early 20th century the human's as gods of prothesis, prothesis gods. And he foresaw already at that time that uh, the art of technology will grow uh, until unimaginable levels. Uh, but uh, he found that the prothesis we are using uh, has... Uh, we are still not really friendly with these prothesis that we are having and, and we have not fully adapted them. But uh, it has increased thanks to digitalization. So we are fully surrounded by digital prothesis that help us making a life and that are super comfortable. And But we are not really inherited with, with them. Let's move on to the industrial internet, the fourth industrial revolution. Or uh, particularly in Germany, it is called Industry 4.0. Uh, I know that others use this expression as well. Uh, but the fourth industrial revolution, I think, is, is uh, the best term to be used here. It is under discussion for a few years now. Five years, six years, that is the time frame. 
At the moment, it is more like a container term, a container expression for future network production systems, for the cooperation between humans and computers, the cooperation between humans and robots, for virtual realities, for uh, virtual environments, for augmented reality. All that connected to production, to industrial production, to the production of goods, is uh, summarized under the fourth industrial revolution. Core is the networking of all times between machines, machines with other machines, machines with the external entities, and machines and humans. So this networking thought, the constant data exchange, the constant connectivity, that is the core of uh, Industry 4.0. Technologies uh, such as artificial intelligence, uh, Internet of Things, big data analysis and augmented reality are also added to create the fourth industrial revolution. So we suddenly have artificial intelligence available in different contexts, closely connected to that, the big data, big data algorithm that uh, help us to analyze uh, certain industrial processes and um, then the, the connectivity with the Internet of Things. Those are, again, core parts of uh, the new industrial revolution that we are experience, experiencing uh, right now. The industry lags behind the private sector and is uh, slower in some respects. I already talked about this. We have... The latest, greatest machines, the latest, greatest technology, digital software-driven machines in our homes, in our pockets. The industry is a bit behind, first of all, because of safety reasons. And uh, so things we take for natural and normal in, in our private lives are about to be introduced into industrial production places these days. The... Use of artificial intelligence means that not only the work process is shared between a human and a machine, but also the decision-making. So machines suddenly start working in management and data collection, data analysis and logistics. So they're all um, they're, they're taking over parts of the work humans had performed until today. And this um, sharing of decision making, not only of the working process but also of the decision making, leads uh, to or must lead to a rethinking of um, the responsibility. Who is responsible? If something happens, if a machine makes a decision, which is a bad decision, which hurts people, the question is, who is responsible for that? And this is one of the big open questions um, that we have, particularly if we talk about artificial intelligence, but also if we talk about higher levels of automation, if it's in driving or in production, the question, who is responsible if something goes wrong? And machines in none of the known legal systems on this globe, uh, machines cannot take 
any responsibility. What we see is a complete redefinition of the relationship between humans and machines here in uh, the fourth industrial revolution. We experience an increased anatomy of the machine. We have a new definition of task division. Before that, it was more a mechanical thing. Now this includes decision-making, maybe responsibility. The question of who does what is totally changing. And it is not constant anymore. Until the beginning of the fourth industrial revolution, it was always clear, upfront, defined, who is doing what. What is the task of the machine? What is the task of the human? And this will change. There may be a situation where a machine makes a certain decision and uh, performs a certain action. And um, in the same situation, a few days later, it is the other way around, that the human says, no, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And this gives us the possibility and the obligation to develop new interaction strategies, new interaction technologies, and also new interaction paradigms. Things like multimodal interfaces, like touch, gesture, voice, summarized in one interface. And there you have to have a very close look at what is the environment, what is the task, what is the machine uh, you're working with, what, what, what is the, the task that is behind it. Just one little anecdote out of my, my consultancy business. I had a client that was uh, producing or still producing welding machines. And uh, they were approaching me saying, Hey, Dr. Rusker, Dr. Peter, we want to have a new HMI. We want to move forward. We want to go ahead of our competitors. We want to stand out. And this is why we have a new HMI technology and it is a touchscreen. And at first sight, of course, I mean, all the machines have touchscreens, so no problem. Why not having a welding machine with um, touchscreen? A quick first analysis, um, I mean, it didn't take me 15 minutes to find out. Uh, of course, you have welding machines that work under um, laboratory-like conditions that work in enclosed uh, workshops uh, and production places that are very clean, no problem to have a touchscreen there. But many of these melding machines are used by single persons in unknown environments, like a car workshop or a ship production place, where it is dirty, where it is noisy, and, and where they carry it around. And these workers they wear helmets and they have shields and they wear, wear gloves. And I mean, with that kind of equipment, it is impossible to use a touchscreen. You just cannot use it. And uh, I mean, I developed them a solution where uh, we projected the information into the helmet uh, with a little display where we integrated uh, interaction devices into gloves into the, the welding gloves so that the, the, the operators could use them. So that is a different thing. And, but, but this is what I mean, that we have the obligation 
to develop new interaction strategies with the new technologies that we have available. And the question always is, can we move it away? Yes or no? And if not, then how can we adapt the interaction to the environment, to the human, to the process? One thing that is possible with uh, the industrial internet is the decoupling of the place of interaction and the place of action or operation. You may be aware of these huge mines they have in Australia and they have these huge, huge, unbelievable big mining trucks there that uh, transport the ores in and out and yeah, they have various, basically they transport all the materials in and out of the mines. And many of them are driving fully autonomously. So they, they have a known ground, um, there's no mixed traffic. Uh, everyone driving in such a mine is, is very well educated, is very well aware about what's happening. So it is a very good place to test all these autonomous driving there. But what they have is for special situations, for unknown situations, for unpredictable situations, they have driver working places in offices, maybe a few miles away from, from the mine or maybe on, even on the other side of Australia. And then there is a person sitting in a full cabin of, of such a truck and steering a truck that is somewhere miles and miles away in a mine and uh, needs needs a certain control, needs a certain action. And you have the, the advantage that um, it's, a, it's a very nice working place. It's a laboratory or office-style place. Um, you don't have heat. You don't have humidity. You don't have dust. You don't have dirt in there. So um, you have a pretty good operation place. And it's possible to steer these machines. And this example I'm talking about, these autonomous trucks, uh, remotely. So this means decoupling of place of interaction and the place of action. Processes today have a very high complexity. Um, they require quick decision making. And for the future, machines should prepare the decision and make the decisions, the, the options that users have available to the humans. And this for me is one of the big steps forward if we talk about sharing decision-making and uh, responsibility. That a machine says, all right, we have these three options. You can go A, B, or C. And you have these consequences with A and those with B and those with C. And you have now three seconds time to make a decision, which puts a lot of pressure on the user, but uh, it's better than uh, a user that needs to find out about the alternatives by him or herself. And um, so, yeah, so this, the idea of machines making suggestions, preparing decisions, and then the human um, acting into that. That is something that I find uh, very, very uh, attractive. For, for you, for the future of the human-machine interaction. Another one is virtual reality, mixed reality, and first of all, augmented reality. So augmented reality uh, overlays the analog world with uh, digital information. So the uh, 
invisible digital information is made visible over the analog world in the respective place. So, for example, if you repair a machine and, and you don't have a handbook, you're a mechanic that this was sent somewhere to repair a machine, and uh, maybe he doesn't know the machine fully, he can pull out a, a mixed reality or augmented reality device, maybe glasses, maybe a smartphone, maybe a tablet, And then um, he gets additional information on like, yes, this machine was built in uh, 2015 and you will find the operation uh, on the left side and you can open uh, it here on, on, on the back side and you need this tool for this and so on and so on and so on. So you can overlay reality with the digital uh, additional information. And uh, with that, not only making making repair processes uh, more efficient, but any kind of process more efficient. So, at the end, um, human-machine in the fourth industrial revolution become more like cooperating partners. So we had this slave, the machine-slave uh, relationship. We had this employer-employee relationship. In the third industrial revolution, and now we have a cooperation. And the human will, for a foreseeable time frame, be the final decision maker, the authority. Uh, there will be, and this is the interesting thing, a flexible division of tasks between machine and human. And it will be uh, possible for the human to get a high level of immersion into the machine, into the process, up to a mental fusion between human and machine. Okay, so let's summarize uh, the industrial revolutions and uh, the way the relationship between human and machine has changed. So there were major changes from slavery to employer-employee uh, up to corporation as we will have it in the future. With every industrial revolution the relationship has changed, it has been redefined, has been brought to, to new levels. And uh, we moved from uh, mechanic, uh, mechanically shaped human-machine interfaces as levers, switches, rotary knobs to software-driven HMIs. The next step um, that is um, running already is the multimodality, uh, the interactivity. Uh, HMIs will be immersive, so we have this mental fusion of operator and machine that will happen in the, in the next years. Final thoughts. We had industry 1.0, What will be industry 5.0? That uh, will definitely be worth a separate episode. Will it be cyborgs? Will it be the merge of human bodies, the constant merge of human bodies and human brains with technology? Will it not only be mentally and reversibly, but also physically and irreversibly? 
I have no idea now, but uh, it's definitely worth a thought. One final remark. If you like this podcast, if you like the Human Technology Podcast, if you are able to take something with you when you listen to it, just do me a favor. Recommend it into your network. So recommend it to at least one other person every time you hear it and every time you like it. The more listeners I have, the more visible it will get, and the more people have the chance to jump in by accident and learn exactly the same way you do it. So we know, all know uh, a lot about um, changes, about uh, dramatical changes at the moment. So if we, uh, if every person recommends one person each time, then we have an exponential growth, and um, then uh, it will go through the roof. I would love to have it. That's it for today. Thank you for spending time with me. I hope you were able to take something with you and do something for yourself that will be forever. For an ongoing exchange, you will find me on LinkedIn and on my websites, peter-rusker.com and beyond-hmi.de. Write me an email on the podcast at beyond-hmi.de. Tune in next time, take care and stay healthy.